The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are simply that, opinions. All are presumed innocent until proven otherwise in a court of law. Sensitive topics are discussed. Discretion is advised. On this week's Court TV podcast, we're in New York City for all the drama and shocking revelations of the Harvey Weinstein trial. This is the Court TV podcast with Vinnie Politan and Seema Iyer. Welcome to the Court TV podcast. I'm Seema Iyer, and Vinnie Politan has abandoned me, folks. He has left me high and dry in the big, bad New York City. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, Vinny is our lead anchor. So he had to go back to headquarters and do his thing. So I am on the ground right around the corner from the courthouse, actually, right now. It is way before dawn, and I'm in my New York City hotel room. It is incredible. I'm drinking some amazing black coffee. If I sound groggy, I am. But this is the most exciting trial that we have covered since our relaunch. And we're just incredibly pumped. So Vinny was here the first week. And that was for the opening statements. But he had to go back to headquarters. And hopefully he will be joining me to talk about this case every single day has been an absolute circus. Topsy-turvy witnesses parading in. They're all models. They're all gorgeous. It has been a runway on the 15th floor of the iconic 100 Center Street Courthouse. it's, It's unbelievable. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to break down what we have seen so far because we're still on the prosecution's case. Okay, we're still on the prosecution's case. But I think it is not fair of me to insert my opinion on how the case is going because Vincennes, (laughs) I'm sure, has a very different opinion of what is happening inside that courthouse. So I think we're going to save all that to when I can talk to Vinny and you guys can hear both of us rant and rave about this case. But okay, so let me catch you up. Uh, The first witness was the famed actress, beloved New Yorker, Annabella Sciorra. She came in and testified and it really was quite a moment for her to walk down the hall and the cameras were going crazy. The courtroom was overflowing, packed. Uh, people in the public were trying to get in, lines wrapped around the halls of uh, 100 Center Street. It it was nothing like I've ever seen. So she testified essentially that Harvey Weinstein raped her uh, between the winter months of 1993 and 1994 after a dinner. And uh, How it happened, according to her, is some way he got past her doorman and knocked on her door. And yeah, it it was very analogous to perhaps a burglary type of situation, you know, a stranger rape. And absolutely the most uh, brutal of descriptions that we've heard so far in terms of a sexual assault. 
And uh, she knows she con- she tried to confront him. She felt threatened later. And then in uh, London in 1994, she says that he was stalking her. She had to move hotels. And uh, then fast forward to 1997 when she was doing Copland. She was at uh, Cannes, Cannes Film Festival. And she answered the hotel door and Harvey... Harvey, being Harvey, had a bathrobe on and baby oil in one hand and, oh, a videotape in the other. Okay, well, there you go. Not the first time sex lies and videotape will make an appearance in this court. Anyway, then, and I'm not sure if it was the next witness, because Dr. Barbara Ziv, she testified, I, I think she was the second witness in the prosecution's case. She was the forensic psychiatrist. Now, here was a little controversy uh, because of the order. Now, usually in these type of cases, the forensic psychiatrist testifies last. She testified second. And it was it, it was a little bit like the Cosby trial, because in the Cosby trial, she testified first. Oh, that was the Cosby trial, the second Cosby trial. You know, the one that convicted him. Hello. Okay, so they have like this handbook, the Bill Cosby How to Get a Conviction Handbook. All right. I said I was going to leave my opinion out of it. Clearly, we're five minutes in and I'm lying. All right. So uh, then Rosie Perez got to testify. Rosie Perez uh, testified essentially as a corroborating witness. She wasn't supposed to testify as outcry because there was no actual outcry. Uh, There was no testimony that Skiora called Perez. That's what outcry is. But it got in because the prosecution claims the defense accused uh, Sciorra of fabricating, and basically that's how it came in. Now, Rosie Perez wasn't the only corroborating witness. There was also another model, Kara Young. Her corroboration was a little disturbing. Kara Young was able to corroborate that she saw cut marks on Sciorra. This is consistent with Sciorra saying on the stand that after Harvey allegedly raped her, uh, she cut herself. Skiora cut herself. That's what she said. And then her friend, Car Young, said, yeah, I saw it. Yeah, okay, I got to take a sip of coffee. I'm dying here. Oh, my God, it's so good. Listen, I, I tell you guys about the coffee. Nobody believes me, but the coffee from just, you know, these 24-hour joints, which... <laughs> Thank the Lord is downstairs from the hotel. It's very easy. They're open all the time. They have coffee at 4 a.m. Okay. Mimi Halle was the next uh, complaining witness. And you remember her because she was the one who has this uh, allegation against Weinstein from 2006. She's part of the indictment. Sorry if I'm repeating myself. And, uh, you know, her testimony that this is when we started seeing a pattern from the accusers and you'll understand what I mean. The first, uh, one of the first interactions she had with Weinstein, he asked for a massage. She like, ha 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 laughs it off. Oh no, I'm not giving you a massage or don't you have someone to do that or something like that. She said, and then another, and there was other meetings between this, but then at the next kind of significant event was that Harvey barges into her apartment uh, and she lived with someone named Liz Enton, who also testified. The dog, Peanut, don't ask me why the dog's picture got into this case, but it did. Peanut uh, barks at Harvey, so she gets him out of the apartment. But after that, that's the incident in question, at least in this indictment, 
and that's from July 10th, 2006, criminal sexual act in the first degree. Her allegation, Harvey Weinstein forcefully performs oral sex on her in his Soho apartment. I just say that because you need to know that she went to his apartment. Now, this is what may be a little controversial, and this is what we're seeing, the back and the forth in the relationships between Harvey Weinstein and some of his accusers. 16 days later, 16 days later, she has a non-coerced sexual encounter. So not criminal, not forced. She had sex with him 16 days later. Okay. And of course, uh, Elizabeth Enton was able to come in and corroborate this. Okay. The next witness was Dawn Dunning. Now, Dawn Dunning is Molyneux witness number one. She talked about how she met Harvey at a nightclub in 2004. Uh, She talks about two events. Okay. Now, this is really important. The first event she talks about is how Harvey, uh, they're meeting each other at a meeting. And at some point, he puts his hand up her skirt uh, and this is, I, I think, into a, in a bedroom of a hotel suite, a Tribeca hotel suite, which is, I think I'm looking outside of Tribeca. Yeah, I think I can see Tribeca. I'm, I'm at the border of Tribeca. So in a Tribeca hotel suite, he digitally penetrates her. Okay, fine. The second incident is when uh, basically he has a meeting with her, promises her three movie contracts, in exchange for a uh, threesome with him and his assistant, Bonnie. And uh, Bonnie has not testified, but hey, we are hoping for Bonnie. Now, the big controversy with Dawn Dunning is that she never reports that second incident. I'm sorry, the first incident, the first incident. So when she came out, and this was uh, October 2017, somewhere around there when the whole scandal broke, you know, the New York Times, the New Yorker, everything came out. Okay, fine. And the whole time she comes out and she's like, oh, he lured me to the hotel, promising me contracts, asked me for a threesome. That was her main allegation. But no, it wasn't until later, much later, where she says, BTW, he digitally penetrated me earlier, before that, before the three movie contracts and a threesome. So this is what the jury is grappling with. Okay, there's a lot more the jury's grappling with because like I told you, this case is bananas. You just don't even know what's happening moment to moment, but I'm gonna catch you up. We're gonna get more of that. That is next. Don't go anywhere. Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. So the next Molino witness to testify was Tara Lay Wolf. She also met Harvey as a waitress. Uh, This was in 2005. She was working at Cipriani's, very famous restaurant in New York City. And uh, the first incident she testified to was Harvey taking her upstairs at Cipriani's and masturbating. And a second incident is uh, also in 2005 when Harvey raped her at his Soho apartment. Okay, 
This was corroborated by a manager of Cipriani's, Maurizio Farigno. That's how Vinny would say it. Maurizio Farigno. Okay. Maybe Vinny and him are friends. I don't know. They probably are. Uh, So anyway, Maurizio, poor chap, he did not know what he was getting himself into. (laughs) He's like, oh, why am I here? Okay. Maurizio basically, it came out on cross that the DA may have coached him. I'm not saying she did. I'm saying that's how it sounded like on cross because it sounded like he didn't remember, he didn't remember, he didn't remember. But then, you know, after a few meetings with the DA, then he remembers. So that's where that was left. But Tara Leigh Wolf, also not without controversy, folks, because when Donna Rotuno cross-examined Tara Leigh Wolf, it came out through cross-examination that she didn't pinpoint the date, the events happening in 2005, until she talked to a friend of hers named Gloria Bousset. Okay, who's Gloria Bousset? Well, the defense didn't know because the defense never had her name or information until that point. Got it? Now, there was a whole drama about this because the defense is going crazy saying, wait a minute, prosecution, did you know the name of Gloria Bousset? Did you know who this was? And the defense is, the prosecution, sorry, the prosecution is saying, no, uh, we didn't speak to this woman. And I'm reading actually from the transcript. Uh, Judge, we didn't speak to this woman. We spoke to another friend of Tara Lay who didn't have information about this. That's Ms. Aluzzi, the chief prosecutor, Joan Aluzzi. She says, we didn't speak to this woman, judge. I don't know what to say. She originally didn't want to give her name. She didn't want to involve her. And then the woman wasn't particularly cooperative, so we didn't speak to her. Okay, so that's talking about this witness, Gloria Gloria Bousset, to Tara Lay Wolf. Fine. So the other DA, Ms. Hast, is saying... Uh, Ms. Wolf did tell us that she had a conversation with a woman that made her realize that she had been working at the club longer than just a month or so when she had the interaction with Harvey Weinstein. So this is important, okay? Because this is basically Wolf sitting down with Gloria and they're trying to figure out, okay, when did this happen to me? And so the timeline is in part created by this conversation. Okay. So the court asks, but did you know the person's name? And the DA, Megan Hass, says, eventually, initially she didn't give the name, but I did eventually learn the person's name and tried to contact the person and the person's name and tried to contact the person. Oh, she said it twice. And the person never responded. Okay, fine. So here's the problem. The court says, why not provide to defense counsel the person's name? Uh, And the DA says, we just didn't ever provide the name. We never talked to the person. There were never any notes or anything with respect to the person. And it goes on. The problem with all of this is that you're not going to believe this. I still can't believe this happened. Tara Leigh Wolf testified on January 29th. Are you ready for it? Two days before, two days before. Oh, I'm trying not to be opinionated. Two days before on January 27th, folks. Gloria Bousset texted the DA, Megan Hast. So when this possible witness, 
And that's what the law says. It's not evidence that's favorable to the defendant that gets turned over. It has to be possibly favorable. In an abundance of caution, you turn everything over to the defense. They had Gloria Bousset's name. They had her phone number. This was before Tara Lee Wolf testified, and they didn't turn it over. Okay. So, of course, the defense says, Motion to dismiss the indictment, denied. Motion for mistrial, denied. In the alternative, why don't we strike Tara Lee Wolf's testimony altogether? That's the other option. And that was also denied. But the judge said, uh, okay, you have to make Tara Lee Wolf available to come back. So she still may come back. She has not come back yet, but she may. And that's number one. And number two, Gloria Bousset has to be available. And she is supposed to be available uh, this week still. So I'll keep you posted on that. But the other problem is, in this situation, the judge could give the jury an instruction that the DA didn't turn something over or something like that. But that's not happening either. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Uh, this this trial. Uh, okay. So, Tara Lee Wolf. I want you to keep that in mind, suspend uh, that entire testimony because there could be more following up. So I'm going to add on to that, of course, when I get it. But then we have Jessica Mann. Jessica Mann was on the stand for what it seemed like 15 and a half days. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not kidding. Uh, okay, so Jessica Mann, she met Harvey in late 2012, early 2013. There's the massage encounter. You know, it's, it's one of the hallmarks of this trial. That happened at the Peninsula. And then at some point, oral sex encounter uh, at another hotel. Uh, and then, of course, there was this... I'm sorry, I say of course. I, I'm assuming you're there with me. But there, there was another threesome encounter. Uh, now, th things get confusing with Jessica Mann. And hopefully, I'm going to run around today and try to get uh, Chanley Painter, our legal correspondent, and Julia Janae, our crime and justice reporter, because those two, they are the eyes and ears of this trial. They are inside the courtroom phenomenal reporting. And I, I really want them to weigh in on uh, some of these accusers, especially Jessica Mann, because Jessica Mann was, I think, the first witness or accuser witness rather to say that she engaged in a relationship. Uh, and she she said, yeah, I, I wanted to make this relationship. So even though there was some back and forth and some uh, alleged sexual misconduct, there was a lot of consensual sexual encounters. And it was type of confusing. Uh, it, it was very, it was confusing, but, and it was long. Oh my gosh, it was long. Did I mention that? All right, she was on the, no, okay, I'm joking. She was on the stand for three days. But a lot of it was cross-examination because there were so many emails, so many emails. Uh, and, and Donna Bertuno, had to cross her on those emails, okay? So that is where we are at. Uh, of course, I'm going to give you updates, and I got to go now because I got to track. No, I I can't track anyone down. It's too early. Okay, I have to uh, get my act together, and then I'm going to head over to our New York City studios, and I'm going to track down Chanley Painter and Julia Janae in between their live 
uh, hits on television being in the courtroom. They're very busy. They're very busy, folks, but I'm going to do my best. So I'm going to try to track them down. And then I am going to give you some more nitty-gritty from inside the courthouse. And this is our coverage of New York versus Harvey Weinstein. I'll be back. For more Court TV, watch it on cable, over the air, Roku, or go to CourtTV.com and stream live gavel-to-gavel coverage. Catch up on the big moments from our current cases and relive some of Court TV's most historic trials. Court TV, your front-row seat to justice. Julia Janae, this is your first time on the podcast. I imagine this is probably the biggest thrill of your entire life. Even through your storied career of being a lawyer and a journalist, this is really what you've worked so hard for. First time on a podcast. It's amazing. Is it really? It is. Oh, yeah. and Vinny's not here for it. Oh, uh, okay. All we'll right. call him. Well, yes. And thank you so much for taking the time in between hits, in between running in and out of that courthouse behind you. Uh, it's really important that you bring your perspective to our listeners. So... Tell me about the most memorable witnesses so far and why. Annabelle Sciorra still stands out to me. Her testimony and the way she described what happened to her just really impacted me, and you could tell it impacted the jurors. I mean, she was talking about wearing that nighty, that heirloom from her grandmother in Italy, and that this is what she was wearing when this alleged assault happened. That still sticks out to me. And she was just so descriptive in the way that she described what happened. And she was emotional while she was telling it. It was really a moment that has stayed with me throughout this trial. Oh, you know what? Here, interesting fun fact. Right behind you, I am seeing Ambra Batalana Gutierrez's lawyer get into an Uber and he has been dodging me, Julia, so I have to track really? him down. Really? Do I need to let you go so no, you can no. get him? <laughs> you know, he is hard to uh, get down, peg down, because he, you know, he's a big shot now. He's too, he's too cool for us, Julia. Okay, so more on Annabella. Was part of the impact for you and from what you saw to the jury was because Annabella's rendition of what happened seemed to be the most analogous to a stranger rape. It does. The way she described opening the door, not knowing for sure that he was going to be there. A lot of these other meetings that the accusers are describing, they did know that they were going to meet with him. They did know that they were going to his hotel or he was coming over to where they were. But it seemed that she was down for the night. She's in her own home. This is where you should feel the most safe. This is your castle. And yeah, yeah, yeah. she is... Uh, just seemingly dumbfounded that he's there, that he's in, and not really knowing what to do. She really took jurors through that process and what she was thinking at the time, even though it happened back in the early 90s. Now, it was a doorman building. Was there ever any testimony through any of the witnesses how Harvey Weinstein got into the building? Did she perhaps challenge the doorman? How did he get up? That was something she says she couldn't answer. The defense, of course, brought that out because they say if you had a doorman, there's no way in New York someone could just get up to the 17th floor without knowing the code or being buzzed up or talking to the doorman. And she says she doesn't know how he got up there, but she knows she didn't buzz him up. 
and she didn't say whether or not she talked to the doorman. But I did find it interesting that the doorman was the one delivering some of those care packages that Harvey Weinstein sent to her Oh, before. tell us about that. Uh, well, there were two different packages yeah. that he sent to her, most notably the second package that had chocolate penises in it, along with a movie and Valium. I yeah, they were Valium. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I remember that. So these were things that who knows if he interacted with the doorman personally or the doorman just knew him from calls. But it is something that could be an explanation as to how he got up there. But she mentioned her doorman was not always standing right at the post. I think everyone uh, got nostalgic or... I, I don't know if that's even the right word, but the it, the nightgown, being from Italy, it so connects us to New York and New York juries and the experience of being an immigrant. And there's like all these things came flooding in, as well as her testimony that she really wanted to tell her brothers, but didn't. And she called them because she wanted to talk to someone, but she couldn't tell them about what happened. And just that struggle that she went through. And then to have to see him. Yeah. Two times later, you could see that she had some real fear about having to run into him in the future. Something different, again, than our other accusers, who sometimes reached out to him on purpose. And Annabella Skior did say that she reached out to him many, many years later, looking for work. She was on tough times, and she was hoping that he would have some opportunities for her. But not uncommon, and something that Barbara Ziv, the expert for the yes. state, says is a myth that the victims would not want to reach out at all to their accuser, to the accused. Sure, sure. Now, the complete other end of the spectrum in terms of accusers is Jessica Mann. And you were in the t in the courtroom for a lot of Jessica Mann, although Jessica Mann was, <laughs> she was on the stand for a total of, I think, like 14 days. So it felt Jess that way. Yeah. So Jessica Mann... <laughs> Again, I know this is your favorite part of uh, of uh, reporting, and that is to relay the description of Harvey Weinstein that Jessica Mann gave. You know, I have to give it to her in terms of what she wanted to get out yeah. and how she wanted to degrade him, it seemed, that she was forceful in making sure this jury heard all of the... Uh, graphic details. Because those weren't even the share. questions, right? The questions are very general. Sure. What's his Tell physicality? Other accusers said he's big. He's a tall guy. Yeah. He's kind of aggressive in his demeanor. They didn't talk about his genitalia, but she went straight for the Monty. That's <laughs> what she went for. She started talking about him being a burn victim, scars, him maybe having female parts instead of male parts, and it was uncomfortable, was awkward for this defendant. You could see it. And, yeah, I'm tired of having to repeat it. <laughs> I know, and I made you do it one more time. Uh, and also she said uh, he smelled. She did. She kept personal. She talked about blackheads on his back and uh, just the way he looked and smelled and that she just was almost repulsed by him, but yet was in these sometimes consensual sexual relationships with him. So it, it gave us a glimpse into her mind because she wanted to make sure people knew the dynamics and layers of this relationship that she had with a man that she said she viewed as a father figure at times. Yeah. Tell us about that. That was also a little strange, the way she set that up. It's a very complicated relationship. She was honest about that on the stand or admitted that on the stand. 
and it came through in testimony that she would defend him at times to her own boyfriend and say that Harvey was like a father to her, that her boyfriend needed to understand the relationship that she had with him in the Mm -hmm. past and wanted to obviously maintain. And it just seems like there were a lot of layers and some emotional up and downs when it came to Harvey Weinstein, whether she was uh, trying to stay away from him and hide from him and was scared of him or when she needed things from him because she was struggling. Now, uh, I know you have to get back into the courthouse, but before I let you go, can you just give us a, a summary? Because the big moments were when she had a breakdown on the stand and left and then got back and then couldn't resume testimony and had to come back the next day. Just uh, describe to us what happened. We were really worried about her after that uh, second day of testimony where she broke down because you could see that she couldn't get herself composed again. She was sobbing. It was audible. She was hyperventilating. I saw her head start to jerk like uncontrollably, like she couldn't stop it from happening when she was walking out of the courtroom. And then it escalated even more from that. I mean, we were hearing screams and wails and it it got so bad that you saw a police officer run in and get the prosecutor stopping court so that they could attend to this witness. And just to know that she was able to get back on the stand, I know that had to have taken a lot of guts to return to the stand after the day that she had the previous day. Overall, uh, what do you think? Well, there was actually, there's something else that you had mentioned about just the context of all these emails. Like all the hundreds of emails that the jury heard about, they were all positive, right? About Harvey Weinstein. You didn't see any emails where she was saying she was annoyed with him or where she was talking to a friend about him and maybe being frustrated with him or especially her emails to him, which she said was because she wanted to make sure he didn't see her as a threat. But it just seemed like in general, yeah. for anyone that's in a relationship with someone, you might be able to find something where they're complaining about the person to someone else. But in her emails to friends, in her emails to her boyfriend, in her emails to Harvey Weinstein, and her emails to herself yeah she wrote herself some journal entries and sure she uh, was in that youtube group that Mm -hmm. was supposed to be helping her redefine her life and she made these journal entries and none of those does she really describe him as this terrible person wow okay julia i know you have to get inside the courthouse and and folks if you're wondering what that noise was it's a subway that's right under us right julia underneath that is right underneath the the uh so thank you julia janae crime and justice reporter at location mobile studio across from the courthouse thank Thank you so much Follow Court TV live over the air, uninterrupted. If you're watching television with an antenna, just rescan your channels now to add Court TV. And go to CourtTV.com to see the exact channel position and more ways to watch Court TV in your area. Okay, we are back with uh, Outside Noise. We're in the mobile studio. Chanley Painter, breathless and just back from court, Chanley, thank you so much for doing this. This is your debut on the podcast. I know, like Julia Janae, this is the biggest thrill of your life. <laughs> like, hands down, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Except Vinny's not here. And we miss we him, miss right? We miss Vinny. We miss Vinny His so birthday much. was yesterday. Yes, thank you. On the podcast, Chanley, we're yeah. allowed to wish people happy birthday. Okay, good. Well, <laughs> I accidentally did on air last night. Oh, wait, I accidentally did on oh, air. Oh, you did? For to you. 
But, do you remember I like birthday that. cake? I, please I, do that every oh, time. <laughs> every, every, it's uh, June 8th, right? June 10th. June 10th. Close. June 10th. Good sorry, job. sorry. Yeah. Okay, June 10th. All right. So now everybody knows. But really, thank you so much. We all know how incredibly hard you're working and the long hours you're putting in. And our viewers on Core TV and our listeners are so grateful. Now, the one thing we don't know. Now, on the podcast, Vinny and I like to talk about uh, our outside lives, except, you know, I like to talk about sex. Vinny doesn't like to talk about sex. <laughs> so that's one topic that's off. However, we talk about a lot of other things. Like, Vinny used to be a DJ. Yes. Did I know that? Yeah, I think you knew that. And you know about my Indian mm-hmm. dancing, so we talk about yes. that. Now, what people don't know about you is not only are you a lawyer and a journalist, but you are an internationally recognized supermodel. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> oh, no. That's a true story. Oh, Chandler no, Painter. No, no. It's a true story. It paid for law school, Seema. That's why I modeled. Well, and it's it's an incredible. It's incredible that you were able to shift and go into a professional field and then go to law school and then become a journalist. Yes. And But in this trial, of all trials, you have such a unique perspective because you, being trained as a model, you know, you see these women walk into court and it is almost like walking down a runway that 15th floor corridor just you know tell us about some of what you notice whether it's Dawn Dunning or Jessica Mann or uh, I think there was another oh Emanuela Posticini yes so tell us about your observations and how they presented in front of Mm -hmm. the jury well, I think you hit the nail on the head. When you are someone who is involved in the modeling or acting industry, a lot of times you go to a training where you learn about poise or posture sure. or having kind of a confidence about you. Because yeah. when you go to audition, I mean, insecurities are all about you, right? I mean, yeah. you're going to be told no all the time. You're not right for this. You're not right for that. Yeah. And sort of taking the witness stand, how these, I mean, these beautiful women are entering the courtroom, tall and gorgeous models and actors. You can tell that that experience in their work has benefited them in the way that they enter a courtroom full of international media under the pressure. They're going to talk about things that are uncomfortable, and they do so in a way where they're standing up straight. Their heads are held high. They take their time to the witness stand, and you can tell that that maybe training they've had has come across to help them in these types of situations, too. Now, you just mentioned the... uh the rejection and the auditions and the insecurities, how has that portion of the job in terms of acting and modeling affected their, their life? How, have, how has that played into their getting involved with Harvey Weinstein? Right. That's, that's a really interesting question. For some, I think it would help you, you know, get some thick skin. You know, you're going to have to just yeah. accept that that's part of this job or this career that you've chosen to be a part of, you're going to go do 100 auditions, you're going to be told 99 times, no, sorry, you're not right for this job. Maybe for someone that that could affect your insecurities or your self-esteem, maybe you would want to be connected to someone like Harvey Weinstein so you wouldn't get as many no's. I mean, there's there's motivations, obviously. I mean, Manuela Posticini testified yeah. very candidly on the stand that, yeah, she wanted to be friends with Harvey Weinstein because he could help her career. He could talk good about her. He could open doors for her. Sure, and sure. she owned that on the witness stand the other day. Right. And coming from that industry, you can understand where that might be something that's accepted in certain circles. Yeah. To yeah, take advantage yeah, yeah. of your connections. Oh, of course. And you even said about Emanuela that she walked in very confident and she had a swagger. She did. She had a confident stride. She sashayed to the witness Sashayed, stand. right. That great word. But, but it, was, it was so much. So all eyes were on her. 
the male jurors' eyes were on her yeah. and yeah. were listening to everything she had to say. And you, well, it's interesting because when you describe how she entered the courtroom, that entrance is consistent with her testimony, right? It is. Okay, but then there were other uh, actress models that you described that were more soft-spoken and timid on the stand, right? There weren't. And maybe because Emanuela's testimony, because she comes from a different place, she owns the fact that she wrote these emails exactly, to Harvey yeah. Weinstein, that she engaged in relations with him for a reason. Oh, I'm sorry. You know what? I need you to clarify something. Yes. So just so our listeners understand, Emanuela Posticini was a corroborating witness uh, for the threesome that Harvey Weinstein and Jessica Mann engaged in as well. Exactly. Yes. So uh, not a Molino, not a complaining witness, right. just a... Just almost like a fact right. witness. But there was right. a lot of argument about that. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. But just so who she is. Do you think that actresses and models perhaps would be more susceptible to getting involved with Harvey Weinstein and then ending up to be victimized, as they say? That models and actors? Well, he also, quote unquote, victimized his employees. That's his true. assistants. No, you're right. His produce, production assistants well, who were on was the a screen. Producer, right. right. She was a right. producer. But uh, I still think you, I mean, you see this too. I mean, a lot of the producers are almost trying to get into acting or modeling. Right. That's true. Yes. So, yeah. And they want to be on the big, big films. Right. They right, want to be in the right. Oscar award winning films. So, you do think there is a level of susceptibility right. for some industries? And it's not industries. just in the entertainment, entertainment industry. I mean, it's. Every career field, I would think. Do you think, I think, you know, and we've been talking about this a lot. I think it's not as bad in the law, like it, law firm or let's say the DA's office. I don't think it's as bad. I think it's bad in news as we've seen with the Matt Lauer and the Charlie Rose and all that. So right. we've seen Bombshell that. Bombshell movie. Sorry? The movie Bombshell. Yes, Bombshell. Oh, God, great movie. Mm -hmm. Great movie. And hey, that's a good, you know, Chandler, that's a great example because Margot Robbie's character mm -hmm. starts off as a producer. Exactly. And the way that she's going to get on camera, what does she do? Yeah. Yeah. So so I I think this may be the worst though, right? The the entertainment industry, the film and television industry, perhaps oh, maybe yeah. the most susceptible. For sure, for sure. Um, you know, and it's a sad, but I think overall big picture is yes. now that we have this trial, we have the Me Too movement, yeah. Things can change. The dynamics can change. People can be more careful and we can you move ahead, yeah. you know, women in the entertainment, not feeling the pressure. They sure. have to sit at the casting couch. And a lot of the people that we've spoken to say that things have changed. There are more rules in Hollywood under the unions. No yeah. more meetings in hotel rooms or exactly. at bars, and, and things have changed. Okay, Chanley, I know you are in between hits and going back to the courthouse. Thank you so much. Vinny will be very jealous that I got to interview you first. And uh, folks, uh, just keep tuned to us here at the Court TV podcast. We will try to keep giving you updates. Hopefully Vinny and I will sit down for a podcast very soon. You can uh, follow us, courttv.com, follow us on social media, and uh, stay tuned. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is a production of Court TV. Go to CourtTV.com for more content, trials on demand, and to find out how to watch Court TV in your area.